they thought I was this knowledge on Torah and like they wanted to talk to me about their Judaism and I was like, I have no fucking clue what's going on. Hello and welcome to Culturally Jewish. Today we have with us Shana Silverbaird and Michael Goldblitz talking about their new show, Lesson Kosher. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor, but I became an artist and that really shocked her. Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish, but all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish. So, a bit about the two guests. So, Shana Silverbaird is a Dora Award winning actor, musician, writer, and songwriter based in Toronto. She's the lead singer of a pop music band called Ghost Caravan. And Michael Goldlist is also Toronto based. He is a writer, actor, and producer. Together, they created the digital series Lesson Kosher, which premiered on Highball TV on June 5th, and June 12th, it was now uh, made available for streaming and purchasing. David, how did you how did you like the show? Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about what the show's about? Yes. Um, first of all, I had a great time watching the show. Me Basically, too. how it's set up is it's 10-minute clips. It's 10-minute episodes over seven episodes, I believe. So basically the show, it follows uh, like a self-proclaimed bad Jew and failing pop star Viv. Uh, when she lands ass backwards into a job as a cantor at her family synagogue, she's thrown into, you know, a ride of illicit affairs, drug trips and tense family drama, self-discovery and some Jewish, um, some Jewish bops. So it's, they describe it, the show as like Shiva Baby meets A Star is Born, if you're familiar with those two shows. Uh, and what it does is it combines a lot of modern Jewish wit and Hebrew electric pop. It was really interesting because when I read that synopsis, I was picturing something very different. Like I thought it was going to be a bit raunchier, a bit more like leaning hard on the comedy, like more of a, like a broad city style thing. And there was right, a right. lot of like emotion and heart. Like I started tearing up in the first episode, the minute that she starts singing in the synagogue. What, what I, was it? Yeah. So what was the music that, why did it tear you up? I mean, it's something that I actually, we didn't get a chance for me to say this in the interview, but I very much like Shayna connect to Judaism very deeply through music. And it was something that when I was not particularly involved over most of my 20s, Music was the thing that always brought me to tears and always felt, I felt that connection. And I really do think it's kind of like, you'll hear what she says about it after. It's this ancestral feeling of like, these are the same tunes and, and words that my ancestors have sung. And there's something, as I, I'm also a singer. So it's something that really hits deep. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm tearing up. <laughs> it's like sitting on, on the train, watching all these back to back to back. And it, it kind of hit me. And then the humor comes and the acting was just super great. Uh, I thought that they cast it really well. And it was funny to see. I don't, do you know David Eisen from the Harold Green Theater? I know of David Eisen. So it was just funny to see him as the rabbi. Um, I, thought yeah. he did a, I thought he did a great job, but it's just so funny because I know him as like a theater, a theater guy. And I've seen him in lots of other things, but I've never seen him play a rabbi before. You know, and, and one other thing that you kind of touched upon was the fact that sometimes with a lot of shows, it can feel very shticky, right? Oh, Judaism, what does it really mean to me? It means nothing. You know, like Seinfeld-esque where it's yeah. surrounding you, but it's never deep saturated into the show. This show was a bit different. It felt like the Judaism, while Viv is struggling with it, it, it it's a core element of the show. What yeah. does Judaism mean? What is their relationship to temple and family, community, as well as liturgical prayers? So all that, it didn't poo-poo it or eye roll it it really embraced those two mm -hmm. competing ideas together yeah and she has such a beautiful voice like it was lovely she to really just does hear her sing and i love the way that they did it in the show the minute she starts singing in hebrew she's like transported into these other worlds 
you can see that yeah, she's like even so campy at times away. and over the yeah. top. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was super fun. So I'm excited for you to hear this interview. It's nice to just chat casually with a bunch of other people in the industry. It was super fun. Sing it. Now? This is an audition to be a cantor. But I don't want to be a cantor. Well, Jonah didn't want to be a prophet. But sing the song for your dad. Let's see what the music says. And then what? I think of my dead dad while I sing and get all emotional and feel a deep hidden connection to Judaism, then agree there must be a God after all and so devote myself to being a cantor? I haven't warmed up. So I want to hear a bit about your background. So Shana, I'll start with you. How did you get started in the entertainment industry? Oh, wow, we're going way back. Um, going way back, <laughs> just briefly. A little, a little bit of backstory. Yeah. I mean, well, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with musical theater. So I went to musical theater day camp. That was like my version of camp. And um, I think we always joke in my family that my first concert was my bat mitzvah because my bat mitzvah coach was a singer. And then I would imitate her and she was giving me these like covert singing lessons while she was teaching me Torah. And so, and they, it was a small synagogue. I was the only one being that mitzvah. They just kind of kept giving me everything. So I did the entire one hour service, basically myself. Um, and then kind of after that, I was hooked. I started doing plays and musicals in, in school. And then I did like semi-professional as a teenager. And then I went to theater school. Um, and then worked mostly in theater and like professional music for a while. And this is kind of my first big foray into film. So it's, Kind of oh, been cool. ever since that bat mitzvah. And that was all, you grew up in Toronto? Toronto, yeah. Okay, cool. And Michael, yeah. how about you? Man, I don't, I'm just one of, I was one of those obnoxious kids that just liked when everybody looked at him. So, uh, and I have a, an older cousin, 10 years older than me, who was always in the entertainment business. He went to New York, he went to Juilliard, he was a playwright. He was, uh, he was a writer and producer on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and he recently uh, uh, created uh, the show Julia for HBO Max. His name's Daniel Goldfarb. He's my cousin. I look up to him always have my whole life. So I guess I, I sort of like always saw him doing uh, entertainment. I was like, that's the best. So um, I went to like a performing arts high school, Claude Watson, and then always did plays and stuff. And then trained as an actor and was an actor for a while. Got Went to New York, got my MFA, worked in New York doing like mostly like Shakespeare and children's theater. Then I moved back to Watson. Toronto and that's when, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, it was great. <laughs> that's children's like what everyone theater. does. Oh, the Shakespeare I, in the I, Park, I, the children's The TYA tours. touring shows, yes. You, you know, I was so, I was like, when I first got a gig in a, in a children's show, I was like, I have, my, I have my MFA. Like, this is beneath me. And then the second I was on stage, <laughs> I was like, this is the best. Kids are amazing when they love it's you. It's really fun. They love you. And then, yeah, I moved, I moved back to Toronto and then, like, got, still active, but got more into writing and producing just to make my own stuff. And then slowly transitioned sort of uh, away from acting only because... Uh, I found it more fulfilling to create things and, and work with other people. Um, I still would, in theory, do some acting, but it's mostly just now writing and, and producing. And then how did you two uh, join up? How did you come together? Okay, so, great story. So, uh, like, <laughs> uh, like 13 years ago, I wrote a play, and uh, the lead was a 17-year-old uh, woman, and Shana auditioned for me. And she was, like, maybe, like, kind of the exact opposite of the character, but she gave like this incredible audition. And I was just like, I remember thinking like, she's not right for this play, but I I gotta remember Channel. Like she's a real talent. Like really, it was incredible. So we were just like Facebook friends. And then Yeah. 
And then I put a post on, so I was watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and I had recently had the experience of the rabbi who did my bat mitzvah kind of like called me up after I graduated theater school and convinced me to be a wedding cantor. Oh, wow. There's a lot of autobiography. Would, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not Viv. I'm not the character, but that kind of kernel came yeah. from my life. And I mean, I told him, Ellie, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't speak Hebrew. I have never read the Torah. I don't go to synagogue. Like, this is not my world. And he was like, it doesn't matter. So I got into all of these hilarious situations where people thought I was a certain thing and I wasn't. Like, they thought I was this knowledge on Torah and, like, they wanted to talk to me about their Judaism. And I was like, I have no fucking clue what's going on. Um, so I had these stories and I watched Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and I felt like this was the kernel of a show. So mm. I just put a post on Facebook that said, Hey, who are the Toronto Jewish TV writers? And Michael reached out and said, what's your, what's your idea? And I pitched it to him and he loved it as much as I did, which is half the battle. And so we just kind of on instinct decided to work together. We didn't know each other that well. And we just went wow. for it. And now we've been talking almost every day for, what, four years? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's So how many, I'm curious, how many people responded to that post as soon as, you said, as soon as you said, like, Jewish TV writers, boom, 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 I can imagine? A lot. I got a lot of suggestions from other people. Right. But Michael was the only one who reached out personally and who I kind of had a bit of a, at least knew, you know what I mean? And I felt like, it felt more like chatting to a friend creative as opposed to me pitching someone above me. And I liked that. that I just liked our, our dynamic. Yeah. And he loved it as much as I did. So that's we really, really got inspiring. along. Sorry, it, go ahead, Michael. Yeah. No, it's like, it's crazy that we got along. Cause like, I, you know, working together with people can be horrible. It's like, it's, it's sort of like an arranged marriage. Like even if you arrange it, like you never know. <laughs> so and, true. And we just like really, every time we got deeper and deeper and you know, and then when you get some funding, sometimes it's like a lot of, there can be a lot of pressure. Although like, you know, it's Canadian arts, not that much pressure, but you know, it's like our careers, it's our entire life's work. Yeah. So the pressure's there. And like, I don't know, I mean, Shane is a really wonderful person to work with and she's just like really smart, thoughtful and she'll listen to me and she'll tell me when I'm full of shit, when I'm full of shit. And um, yeah, it just was like, it's really, uh, it was very fortuitous that we that we ended up mm. uh, together. I also like, by the way, thinking about that, and we haven't talked about this in a while, but when she put that post and I was like, I should reach out to a little part of me, I was like, what, the, what am I reaching out for? Like, it's so ridiculous. I can't like tell someone like I should, I can help them write a show. Like, it's not like I had like a hit show on TV. I was working on a digital series for CBC. So like I knew I'd done some digital series. I'd certainly know how to get some grant money, but like, it's not as if mm. like uh, I'm a, like a well, a big mucker or anything like, in the industry. N- no, not at all. No. But I was just like, whatever. I'm, you know what? Sometimes you just got to reach out. And I just had a good feeling. I remembered like the, like her audition was really like, you know, it's, it's really mm. special. And she's a special sort of performer, you know? So, yeah, yeah I didn't want the chance slide by. I wanted to say a couple of things to that. Number one, I feel like that's really inspiring for those who are listening who don't work in the arts. So much of what we do, because David and I are both also actor, writer, creators, is like up to chance. And it's all about how much you put yourself out there. And like, that's really brave. You're just posting on Facebook and you kind of hope that someone comes along because the amount of times that I've thought, oh, uh, maybe I would do a TV series. But I was like... I don't know if I know someone who'd be able to do this. And I feel like that's really affirming to see a success story and to know that it can happen. 
But you know what? It, it, it's yeah. also the other thing, too, is like, you know, when Shayna came in for that audition, she wasn't right. Many times you could feel, oh, I, I didn't get that audition. I, I must suck. I must be terrible. I never heard back. But at the same time, Michael on the other side is thinking, not right for this role, but super interesting, super engaging. Yeah. I want to see them again. And that happens many times in our industry. Shayna, what were it's, you going to say? Yeah. It's so that's like a huge part of it. Just come in and do your thing, and then you'll find the thing where your thing goes. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> find the thing. Where you'll find the thing. Your thing. <laughs> but it's true. I feel like I my career took a turn when I started to understand that not getting the role wasn't a failure because mm. it really isn't. Like if you do good work and someone remembers you, that's the best thing that can possibly happen. And I have, I agree that like people should just reach out. I have kind of always been that way since theater school. I will just write people. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same way. (laughs) You kind of have to be. You have to be. Nothing's going to happen if you just sit sit around waiting for your phone to ring. No, I I do not subscribe to that at all. And my auditions get better too when I'm working on other things because it doesn't feel precious. Totally. It's just a thing I'm doing that. There's day. that sometimes sort of so, desperation in those auditions where it's like, I really need this job. Please, please, please get me. Yeah, so I wanna... and then you, you bend yourself out of shape to try to be what you think is going to be hireable and you can never do that. Like your talent can't, you can't be a talented in the way you're not talented. You have to be talented in the way you're talented and that's all you can do. So you show up and be like, this is the this is what you get. This is me. This is the product. If you don't like it, pass. If you do, you do. And then you find that just like, yeah, then people start seeing you and then then they'll want to work with you when the thing comes where it's like, oh, it has to be this person, you know? Right. So I want to go back to the show. So you mentioned some anecdotal things from your life about becoming a cantor when you didn't know so much. So that, that relates a lot to the character of Viv on the show, who's like a self-proclaimed bad Jew and then ends up becoming um, a cantor at her synagogue. Can you tell me a bit more about what made you decide to tell the story specifically in that way? Because you were saying just before, like, I am not Viv. Um, the show Mm -hmm. to me was so interesting because I read the description and I was like, okay, it's going to be this person who's like a bad Jew and whatever, but the show's so Jewish and like really emotionally Jewish with all the music, which we'll talk about soon. So how, what is your own Jewish connection now? And how did that inform the decision to tell the story in this way? It's a really good question. Um, I definitely feel like through this and some other Jewish projects I've done recently, I've become more Jewish. And I don't mean that in a religious sense. I kind of mean it in an identity cultural sense um, that I identify more as being Jewish and I emotionally relate to the stories and the music and the experience. Um, And it's interesting you brought the music because that's one of the core things that Michael and I talked about a lot. Mm -hmm where we said, how is it possible that we're these contemporary young Jews who feel so disconnected from the religion, almost antagonistic towards some of the religious aspects a lot of the time, and yet so identify so deeply with being Jewish. And when that old, when that Jewish music, when we hear it, when we sing it, it's like, I could be brought to tears and I don't know what I'm saying. And then I read a translation and I'm like, uh, I, I, this, these words don't inspire something emotionally in me, but the fact that I'm singing these words and these haunting melodies that my ancestors have been singing for centuries, there's a, there's a thing that happens. So it was, it was an interesting tightrope to walk for us. And I think I'm really proud of us for, I feel like pulling it off at least relatively well, where it's a comedy, but there's also like a deep 
soulfulness and uh, and emotionality in especially in the music yes and in in a way in interrogating and challenging Jewish norms we're kind of being the most Jewish you can possibly be <laughs> yeah totally yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael, I'm curious, like, do you, do you agree with that as well, too? What is it about the music, but what, what is it about Judaism that still has that connection for particularly young Canadian Jews like yourself? I, yeah, it's it's a push and a pull. Like, I wasn't, I didn't grow up very religious, although really culturally Jewish. My parents, my my dad was president of the synagogue for a while, but no one ever mentioned God in my house. And I was, like, if someone says, like, God, I'd be like, ew, God. Like, uh, if you translate some of those prayers and those songs into English and you read them, you're like, eh, not really doing it for me. But there's something about, there's something aesthetically pleasing about Judaism. There's something I like about it that's like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's confusing as to why I give a shit that I'm Jewish. Like, I, I don't always know exactly why, but it's definitely, there's something about it that I, I like. I'm, and I'm extremely proud to be Jewish. Then there's also part of me that's like, it's all made up. Like, it, it, these are just tribal things that divide people. So there's always like warring sides of my brain. But the one thing is like, I always am interested in the fact that I'm Jewish and what Judaism is and like what it's been in the 20th century. I'm not particularly rebellious against the religious acts aspect because I didn't grow up that religious. Like we didn't have a whole lot of like laws or certainly my parents were never like, God is watching you. Like that's like cringy. I could never even imagine yeah, that no. sort of level. So um, it's just interesting. Like J Jewish is just interesting and it's a really, it's fascinating and it's full of all sorts of like, I mean, it's been around for so long. It's had like three or four completely different iterations. And every iteration is like a little different and a little strange and full of all sorts of like neat stuff. Like I was recently reading Martin Buber for some reason. Like I found a book of like Martin Buber short stories and they're like these weird, Kabbalistic, odd, like, and I was like man, this, these are awesome. Like this is so cool. It's, <laughs> there's like a side of, I think, here it is. Okay. So some of religion <laughs> is so deeply uncool and so like boring and it's just like a little fascist and then there's parts of religion that are just like actually really sexy and super interesting i think you're the first person on this podcast that said religion yeah. can be sexy it, look at look, we had to go there for this because yeah. we wanted the show to be sexy so but like the, some of the melodies in the like you know first off song of songs man there's there's it's that's a whole oh, bit yeah. of romantic like hot poetry that's including actually the part where where he's when, like, I, I wish you were my sister. Very strange. One of the funniest things I remember my brother was showing me because there's like all the every different Sidor has like a different English translation of some psalms. And he was like, look at this edition. And it was like very, very overtly sexual. And then the other edition <clears throat> was so cleaned up that it was like super like nothing to do with sex at all and was all just like poetry and like about god and we we're like hmm this is interesting <laughs> can we go back to the other one we might pay more attention <laughs> yeah <laughs> your show has a lot of mixing as we mentioned about the traditional liturgical prayers and everything like that now you called it judeo pop is that a real thing that's happening right now on social media like tiktok no. <laughs> uh maybe it will we're starting it we're gonna see where it goes it is a hashtag that our social media managers have started. Nice. So everyone put your Judeopop on TikTok and Instagram and hashtag Judeopop. Listen. That is my ad. Didn't sea shanties <laughs> become super popular yeah. for two weeks and last year? And also the like, random song by like a religious boys choir. That's so what I was thinking. Not? This is where I think yes. was your inspiration. It's Prime the time. Miami boys choir that started singing and everyone was up in arms about all these yeshiva bochers and these religious kids singing these liturgical songs. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, because music, yeah. I mean, music's the great connector. And if that's like, that's, yeah. I think our show is in there. It's a, not just Jewish music, just music, real music that, that comes from somewhere and just has something to say musically is the great connector and it belongs to everybody. Yeah. Right. Like that's, what's so wonderful about, like I went to a jazz fest in new Orleans and I wandered into the gospel tent and I was listening to a, a you know, like Love a gospel. kid's gospel choir from Louisiana singing about Jesus. I had no connection to it, but like in that moment, you're just like, Holy hell, oh. this is incredible. Like stunning. Yeah. yeah the soul. Yeah, so I mean, I think so that's connected. like when I say sexy, it's also something soulful. Like you know, we're me and Sharon are both interested in like Jewish soul, and there's a lot of layers on top, and there's a lot of stuff. But I guess we're really interested in the most interesting and soulful parts, and that has a lot to do with music, and also has a lot to do with family and mm-hmm. responsibility mm-hmm. for each other, which is you know community. Yeah. Speaking of family, uh, what I sort of, as I was watching this, I got, this is the plight of the boomer generation, right? We are in this economic situation where so many young Canadian, young Canadian artists have to return home as they're trying to balance their, their life. So I guess I was curious, is, is that the only way to survive as an artist in Canada these days? You've got to live with your parents. <laughs> what do you think, Shana? For context, uh... for context, for those who haven't seen the show yet. Um, the main character is like living at, at home and is a musician who is like not doing so well in her 30s. So continue, Shayna. Yeah, she's had to she's had to last minute move back into her mother's basement and she's not very happy about it. She's like 30 and like, what am I doing? Um, you know, I don't think it's the only way, but political statement wise, it's pretty close. It's pretty post-COVID hard to make a living as a as an artist in Canada, and uh, you know you have to find ways. You have to find other jobs or support from partners in times where you really need to focus on something that isn't paying you a lot or support from parents. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I have a <laughs> I, think, I have a day job. You know, I have to, I have to work. What's your day, day job? job in marketing? Marketing. Marketing. Yeah. I'm a creative associate creative director. Uh, which is hence the dig at marketing people yeah having said that it's sometimes ah, sometimes can be it. pretty fun because at least <laughs> it's creative great. but Actually, i would say my 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 advice would be if you can't have the good fortune to come from wealthy parents which is tricky to do if you don't like it's hard to sort of reverse it you just that. find new I parents strongly well I'm, yeah that or just marry someone who's wealthy that's marry like this really. is like this is what <laughs> artists have done for Life generations lessons. also like the book, like, you don't, like, Leonardo da Vinci wasn't, like, a self-made man. Don't all these people just have rich patrons, like, the Medicis or whatever? Like, you know, we the arts have always thrived on wealthy people who want to throw money at artists. So, like, that's just, it's just continuing a long-standing tradition of just impressing wealthy people so they can also launder their money and get culturally, they can get some cultural capital by supporting artists. And, like, that's the that's the ecosystem. And it has been for, like, 500 years. I love that years. we're just encouraging everyone to become sugar babies, like, <laughs> But you do have to find creative ways. Like I also have a side job. My partner and I, he, he runs a business. I help him with his business. I tour, I've been touring a theater production. I've been working on this. I've had bands like you. I, I do find though, that if you have that like artistic urge, even if you take on other jobs or do other things, it's there. And it, it kind of drives you almost against, not against your will, but you can't turn it off. Yeah. I find for myself, like I see it everywhere. It's, it's addictive and it's something that like needs to come out of me. And no matter what I do in my life, I think I'll find a way to 
be artistic. And Which be sometimes creative. I find that artists are a bit shameful to mention. They sort of say, oh, like, if you're not working on the next show, you're not making it. And there's almost this feeling of embarrassment, like, oh, you, you know, to talk about your day job. We, we all have day jobs. We all have to do multiple juggling acts constantly. And sometimes there's this maybe unspoken rule. It's like, well, you don't really want to bring up those day jobs or you don't want to talk about where you're actually earning your dough from because it's it's considered less than you're not a pure artist. Or the thing that drives yeah. The thing that drives me nuts too is when artists don't call themselves artists and they're like, no, like we'll be at a party or something and they'll ask them, oh, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm a waiter. And I'm like, no, this person's an actor. Like you're doing waitering for money. Like don't sell yourself short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's the biggest thing because we're not going to change our society to the extreme tomorrow. Like it would be great if we could all make a complete living as an artist. But it's not going to happen tomorrow. So I think the thing that we need to do right away is take away the stigma around the, the Joe job or the second job because we all have them and it's necessary. And I think the best thing I, I got from a coach, he said, Joe jobs are amazing because they allow you the freedom to do your art. Like they are your supports. So be thankful for them and then just go do the thing you want to do at the same time. And like, I, if I'm not mistaken, like, didn't Van Gogh have to do portraits of rich people around Amsterdam, wherever the hell he's from? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's pretty rare that you find artists that can do just one thing. And you know what? It's also very rare that people exclusively, even if they're making all their money from art, can do only that art that they love. And we've seen a lot of actors that do Marvel movies. Maybe they love to do it, but like, there's always, everyone compromises. Nobody is uncompromising. Yeah. nobody and I, actually the compromise is important because like that's how you learn your craft that's how you learn your skill like uh all the writers that we love who created shows were staff writers on other shows maybe they didn't love those shows like maybe they found those jobs really hard to do and yeah. or they were staff writers on like commercials or copywriters for a while like yeah. everyone sometimes you just got to do a job yeah yeah i mean i i had my mfa in acting and then my first bunch of gigs when i was back in toronto was a mcdonald's bagel commercial a tim hortons bagel commercial <laughs> like i think why not? give me a commercial i would yeah i mean that. that's yeah, like commercial that's money just, is that's life no complaints. that's life so on the show um you kind of bring in some of this uh conversation especially at the in the early part of the series viv is talking to her parents and you can tell that the mom's not really thrilled about the fact that she's not working. What was your own experience, Shayna, with your parents going into the arts? Were they supportive? Oh man, I, yeah, I feel like my mother is the complete opposite of Viv's mother. Like not, not opposite in the love, the love that's underneath (laughs) it all. But I was like, Michael, we can't, we can't use my relationship because there's no drama there. Like, wow, you're lucky. I'm very lucky. My mother is the best. <laughs> she is a therapist, but like doesn't therapize me. It's just she's one of those people wow. you walk into a room with her and you're like, you end up telling her everything. Like she knew when I started drinking. She knew she knew everything like to a limit and she's really supportive. Um, so I didn't have all that much trouble. My, my mom, I remember going to my mother in grade 12 and being all nervous to tell her that I wanted to go to acting school because all of my friends told me you should be so nervous, she'll hate you for it. Oh, no. And I told her and she like laughed. She was like, what took you so long to figure that out? Wow, <laughs> her I only stipulation was 
get a degree. So she's like, you can go to an acting conservatory, just go to one at a university. So you have a degree in case you want to then go do something else. The degree will help you. Right. Um, but sometimes I wonder like another kernel that's in the show that is related to my life, although in a very different way is that my, my father also passed when I was a preteen and in the wake of that, also my mother being who she was, we became very close and I didn't go through so much of the rebel stage hmm. because I was like, hold on to the parent I've got left. Um, and a, a really good friend of mine pointed out to me that maybe I'm acting out my rebellion through Viv. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and that I'm getting to do it later in life. Viv wow. takes the exact opposite. I mean, in some of the ways, yeah. like, you know, when people are like, it, is Viv based on Shana? It's like, well, some of the circumstances are based on Shana's circumstances, but it's also like Viv makes the opposite choice that every time she runs away from her mother. So she runs away from her mother after her father dies. She starts building sort of resentment and anger towards Judy's like it, it's 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 got like you know it's so we knew how to write stuff because we had the circumstances in front of us and then it was just like but Viv's wired different Shana was that a bit of a challenge then to bring that that uh that truth into the script with your father passing away was that at all helpful how did it feel I didn't find it challenging I found, I find bringing things like that into my work actually like quite cathartic. Um, it's partly, I think why I became an artist and yeah, not that it was kind that. of, not that I felt like I was telling my story, but every character I, I become is partly me and partly not me, right? It's my body, it's my brain, it's my voice. Um, and I find it was nice to be able to there's a lot of dead fathers in art. Like if you look at every Disney movie, there's a dead dad, right? But it was nice to be able to tell that story myself and with Michael. For example, the scene, I find a lot, <laughs> especially in, in subpar storytelling, when people reveal that their parent has died, and maybe this is true for some people, so I shouldn't judge. <laughs> it's like a very emotional revealing and that's not my experience. Hmm. Like when I, as soon as I l lost him, I would kind of punch people in the face with it. I'd just be like, my dad's dead, period. And Viv is very that way. Yeah. So that kind of comes from hmm. me. Like I will tell people very kind of straight that it's a fact of my life. And if we get into the deep emotional story, but it was nice to be able to tell that with some genuine honesty around the emotional side of it where it wasn't overly schmaltzy and it was just like it felt real even though Viv wasn't me we were trying to tell it in a real way yeah and so what was that collaboration like I'm super curious to hear um so Shana you had this idea you brought it to Michael and then how did you work together to kind of tell what you had in your head and then I'm sure Michael you brought your own background and ideas into it what it, walk us through that a little bit the, we failed constantly. Like we just would put something mm. together and be like, meh, and put it together again and go, meh, put it together again and go, ah, put it together. Like, I mean, I, how many iterations of the show, how many different names for the characters, how many different, like, at one point her name was- Yeah, like, we ripped it apart and like put it back together. Over and so, over So how long was that process like from, let's say, first draft or even first idea to production? Oh my God. First idea, three, I think, was years? like three okay. years. Yeah. And then first draft was maybe two. 
but okay. but and they, it changed a it changed a lot. Like it, it went, lot. but what what didn't change, I guess, is just like we did just the feel. Like it, it, you know, we just knew we had we knew where we wanted to like be. We knew the ballpark of what we wanted to play with: sacred, profane, Judaism, not Judaism, singing. Like we had this, and then it just would change, and it just kept helping find itself and then we started getting better and better and then you know when we, we worked on the series we worked with an amazing story editor Kat Sandler who who asked so many incredible questions and we started changing things and working on backstory and rewriting it's like that's that's the hardest part and it takes the time mm-hmm. it takes like um yeah and, and how it did, just keeps and, changing and growing and how did you end up on this network uh highball how did that come to be like you went and pitched it or Walk, let, let's let the listeners in on a bit of the, the behind the scenes of how TV shows get made. The nitty gritty. Yeah. I mean, we pitched a few places and our, our producers, Emily and Laura at Film Coop are amazing. They had a relationship with them as well. Um, and we that that relationship was relatively easy. <laughs> I hate to pull back the curtain on something that wasn't that difficult, but we kind of sent them the Bible and they're artists as well. It's an artist run company. And they were like, we love it. It's, it's a really cool concept. And they were kind of on from the beginning before we even got, um, before we even got funding. So, because, and that's one of the things that creators need to know is that for like IPF, they'll fund these short form digital grants. You need a place for it to go before you apply. Mm. Um, so they have to kind of take a chance on you, which which they did and and I we're very thankful for that and we're still kind of you know we're we just um started working with a distributor and it's kind of becoming bigger than than we ever really imagined it would so we're very excited that they kind of took a chance on us at the beginning and now that it's done and people can see that it has a a standard of quality to it that other people are coming on board and and becoming part of the team that's awesome and I noticed the the show had to me, it felt like there wasn't much censored. Like, I know sometimes you do a show that has, like, very culturally specific themes. And they're like, oh, well, let's make this more universal. And then there's this whole scene where you're doing, like, Hebrew karaoke. And there's, like, no English <laughs> written on the bottom of the song. And I was curious if you, like, maybe to me it seemed uncensored. But, like, did you have any issues when you were working with the network where they were like, oh, this is too Jewish? Can you Jew it down a bit, maybe? Well, no, th- this is the good thing about a digital series. Like, I mean, this is not on broadcast television. So when you do that, you get carte blanche because you can kind of do whatever you want. Nobody told, nobody said anything to us about anything. That's awesome. Really. We were, yeah, we, there's no, there was no oversight. No, no, like none. I mean, we could, we could have done anything we wanted probably if it didn't run amok against like any sort of law. I mean, nobody, Right, like nobody, nobody weighed in. Like our our funders, you know, like when CMF gives money to digital series, they just you pitch them and then they give it to you. I mean, like they don't they don't redraft. Like you send them work, but they don't redrafts and say, no, this is like, I mean, it's you're sort of on your own. In that sense, it's it's incredible. It's just like completely artist led. It's also really scary because like you're just totally because you're like your jumping off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, but no, I have to say, like, in, and I did a previous show for CBC Gem. And, you know, they, they saw the drafts, they were there on set sometimes, and they like, they nixed one joke in an entire series. And then even nixed it, they said like, this one's like kind of really mean, like, do you need it? And we were like, no, we don't need it. Um, And that was it. So like, you know, that's the one thing, like, uh, we're not working on primetime broadcast TV. And so there's like a lot of, 
there's just you can really stretch your wings and do what you want and also now i think that we're in this like period of prestige tv peak tv people really understand that like that's what our people are that's what people are interested in shows that go there um i don't know like we're not going to be making the big bang theory and so no one's going to say no in fact it's the opposite the more specific the more weird the more like jewish the more the more like niche the better so talking about very niche there yeah. are some very niche things in this show I, i'm really curious who came up with the idea of a luau themed shiva oh man i don't know that was definitely in a in a right it was in a meeting with michael and i and kat sandler and i'm not sure there were a <laughs> lot of things that came out of the thing about writing with people and like writing rooms is that sometimes everyone's just throwing stuff at the wall and like you walk out not quite knowing who came up with it yeah there's some Do you lines remember? no i it like so what, the best part about a collaboration is when something happens and you feel like you did it even when you didn't or you did it together like, i feel like it was my idea but that's because i like it so <laughs> it much. might have been yours it <laughs> It might have been one of those things where we were like, okay, what would make this shiva the most exciting and the weirdest? And we were like all throwing out ideas yeah. and then we had a list and we were like, this was the best. No, but it's also like, you know, and that's, this is a funny thing about writing. Cause like, I think, I think the genesis of that was we were talking about who was uh, Morty, the guy who died. Right. And so then we were talking about him and trying to come up with a bit of a character for him. And that lends itself to what type of shiva we'd have. So it's like the, is the tiki themed or the luau themed shiva, the idea or is the idea was the idea like um who someone asks who was he and what how does that affect his ship so like even in a writer's room if you come up with the answer the person who asks the question sometimes is the one who should take the gold star and that's why it's collaborative that's why you have to do it together as a team i just remembered what is i it? just remembered where it came from at first it was we were saying that his funeral was untimely and had co-opted his birthday party oh, so that's they had right. that's all of right. the decorations for his birthday party and then somehow we decided Luau was better. Yeah, that was that was it. Was good. it was like his sixty fifth birthday, and they were just gonna it was gonna say happy birthday, and then we were, we were thinking about it says like happy Shiva on it. Yeah, so that was just That's the funny. idea that we knew it was gonna be like it was gonna be weird. But then we also talked about that he's like I, we were just talking about character, and actually I I know a little vaguely who it was based on. I definitely won't say, but there's a there's somebody I know who I just thought like. And it's a certain type of sort of boomer privileged Jew who would just like have been to Hawaii a lot and have an affinity <laughs> for it. Uh, so, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So before we wrap it up, just super fun, quick last question. Who are some of your Jewish inspirations as artists, whether it's um, a writer, uh, an actor, a creator? Mm. Take a moment. Well, I mean... Yeah. I mean, definitely Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and everyone who worked on that was kind of inspiring to me and inspiring to this in a kind of direct Genesis way where I saw, oh, someone's making a Jewish comedy that isn't Larry David and also isn't about the Holocaust, you know? Yeah. And I was, it, that kind of made me feel like, oh my God, it's possible and people will watch it and like it and there's an audience for this. Um, I mean, I also love this is horrible. I am blanking on her name, but the showrunner who did Unorthodox and Transatlantic. Um, Anna, no, what is her name? Anyways, I will look it up, but she is a huge inspiration to me, which is funny to say because now I can't remember. Shira, name, is it Shira Huss? No, she's the actor. Oh, no, right. the showrunner. she's the actor who I also love, but 
The woman who wrote it. Well, while you're looking for that, Michael, why don't you jump yeah. in? Um, I listened to a whole lot of Mel Brooks as a kid. Like, tons. Nice. Me and my family can probably quote the entire 2000 and 2013-year-old man off by heart start to finish. Um, certain flavor of Jewish humor that I, I really like there. Um, boy, I don't know. That's a, It's kind of a tricky question. Go ahead, Shane. Who is it? Anna Winger. That's her name. Cool. Anna Winger. David was there. He was going to, or you were there. I think you're going to say Anna Wintour. It was pretty close. I almost said Anna Winter, and I was like, no, 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 that's the, that's the, that's Vogue. the Vogue person. I also, different person. I guess the, also one of the things I've thought about a bit, I also, I've read a fair amount of Philip Roth, who I think is, you know, an amazing author, obviously pretty celebrated, even if kind of a, seems like he was kind of a bit of a fucked up guy, but, but his books are many writers to really, really, yeah, he was really specific, which is like 90% of his books, if not 100% of his books were just about like Jews from his from Weehawken, New Jersey, where he was from. And, like, he could just return to it over and over again. It's really specific. And, like, I think I went through a period where I was just like, oh, I hate that I was born in Toronto. And, like, this is the most boring city. And, like, Canada's so boring. Like, if I was, like, if I was, like, an Irish guy from Belfast, if I was, like, you know, like a Jew in the 50s in New York when it was, like, exciting. And then at some point you're like, well, I'm not. So I could never, ever do that. You just have to write what you know so i guess like i was inspired by by that in in philip roth which is because i've I've seen someone critique it and be like oh my god this guy just keeps on writing about jews from new jersey it's like yep that's he's not what he knows yeah it's kind of what it is uh shana michael i want to thank you both for coming on to culturally jewish uh we hope nothing but the best for your show um it was it was a fantastic ride on uh contemporary judaism mixing in with 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 music so all the best and thank you so much again oh thank you so much it's a real pleasure to chat with you guys thank you so much guys so david you are in victoria bc tell me more about that I just landed yesterday right here because I'm doing a show for the next six weeks at a theater company called Blue Bridge Theater, and the show is called The Guardsman. So I will be, that was the big selling point. The director called me up and said, hey, do you want to be in Victoria for the summer? And I said, sign me up. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Is Is this someone you've worked with before? It's never someone I've worked with before, and this is kind of how it works in the industry. He was looking for a lead actor, and he started asking around a bunch of actors that he knew and trusted and worked with in the past, and one of them said, you want David Sklar? So then he gave me a call, I put a self-tape together, and then within a few days he said, yeah, you're hired, and start learning your lines, because it's a a beast of a script. It's quite long, and I never stop talking, so. Oh my god, one of those. We'll see how it goes. I'm a little nervous about my lines, so I'm, I'm gonna rehearse and practice right after this um, and and get it up to speed. But Alana, you also have some very exciting stuff. I know you just finished your program, right? The jam program at the Siegel Center? Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of bittersweet, Um, though, though, like fun things to come for sure. I've been doing this Jewish mentorship program, Jewish arts mentorship program at the Siegel Center here in Montreal. And yesterday we did our presentation. So we all showed it was more like a process-oriented presentation. Most people didn't have a finished script. Some people were way further along. Some people were still more in the early stages. But it was so funny because I didn't remember the last time that I'd done a formal presentation. Like I had a PowerPoint. It felt like I was like a, in high okay. school. 
Um, because I was showing like, it's, I'll get into it another time, but it's a whole show that's honoring the life of my grandmother who was very, very important in like Jewish global activism at the time. So I have all these pictures from archives that I had pulled and video clips with interviews that I'd done and radio clips. And so, yeah, it was very nerve wracking because it's a solo show. So it was just literally me up there for the entire presentation for my part, explaining my show and then also like doing monologues and yeah, but I got really good feedback and a lot of people told me that I, I made them cry, which like sounds sadistic, but to me that means that I, I uh, touched them. And so that, that made me feel really validated about the work that I'm doing. And a lot of people kept saying like, keep going, keep going. This is such a worthwhile project. So that was really inspiring. So what is the, where is your project right now? Is it like early ideas, concept, um, draft, first draft, final production? So my project is very research heavy. So I spent... My, the, the jam program was January to June, and I spent most of it doing research. Um, and I'm not done, but towards like as the program was nearing an end, I was working with my mentor, and she was like, "Why don't you start actually doing some writing?" Because I'd been doing some more movement exploration, um, like playing with music, playing with movement, some dance stuff. Um, and I'd, I had been doing a lot of journaling because that's going to be an element of the show. It's kind of like documentary theater mixed in with more movement music stuff. Um, so I need to finish interviewing people. But I think my, my next step is applying for funding, which, you know, ironically, we were just talking about that in the interview. I need to apply for grants or residencies because I, I'm spending a lot of time on it. And I'm at the point in my career where I don't want to be unpaid. Um, for all that work. So that's kind of the next step. And then I can start taking all the research and actually writing the script properly. Like I have all these subhead like titles of, and this is where I'm going to do a scene about this. And then here's like a little thing I wrote. And a lot of it is just very early writing with a ton of research to back it. If that makes sense. Well, best, best of luck for everything. And I hope <laughs> yeah. we can maybe one day see a final, a final production of it. Yeah. And you just had the reading of your show. I think I saw how did that go? I did. I had, I had two different readings. So I had one because this play that I wrote won an award for best new script mm, for a theater positive. company in Calgary. Thank you. So we did a reading of it. And that that theater is more like very spiritual based and, and has a Christian element to it. Okay, which yeah, yeah. I was very nervous and excited to see how would they would take a very Jewish script. They actually laughed a lot. They had a great time. It was I was surprised by how funny they found it. Huh. Contrast that with the week after when I set it up at my temple, it was a lot more tense, I would <laughs> no say. Way. That's so funny. Be That's so yeah, interesting. Yeah, because these ideas, it, it was so interesting to see the dichotomy, the difference between how these audiences react to one that is just giggles to another that is like, mm, everyone was a bit on edge. Um, but my rabbi came, the president of the synagogue showed up. They both had really fabulous and wonderful things to say about the script. I got some great feedback from some people, one, one father in particular. He said, you managed to keep my 16-year-old daughter engaged for the whole 90 minutes of your play on the ride from Calgary back to Cochrane where they live. So I, was, I wow. took that as a big, as a big victory uh, for yeah. the script. Wow. And so what's on your radar these days? I know you're very busy with rehearsals, um, but anything that you're curious about or that you would suggest that people go see maybe on the West Coast since you're tapped into that area? Well, you know, I've just arrived, so I don't know really what is happening on the West Coast, but if people, this is a show I've been watching recently, uh, it's called Rough Diamonds. Have you heard about it? No, I haven't. 
So Rough Diamonds, I was traveling when I was traveling in Europe and I stopped in Antwerp for a bit. Everyone was talking about this show and it's a Belgian TV series set in the Orthodox community, the Orthodox Jewish diamond dealing community in Antwerp. It's, it's on Netflix right now. And basically the synopsis is you have this character named Noah who travels home to Antwerp after the suicide of his younger brother Yankee. And upon returning, he sort of reconnects with his Haredi community that he abandoned. And he's also trying to rescue his family's diamond trading business from the pressures of, be it organized crime and um, a local prosecutor. So it's a great show on Netflix. I'm really, what was super impressive is everyone is speaking multiple languages, whether it's English, Flemish, French, Yiddish all at the same time. So I had a very, I'm having a very good time watching that show. Oh, cool. What about you? What I want to plug is a show that I'm going to go see, actually, Wednesday night, um, Games I Don't Want to Play by Michigas Theater. Uh, Michelle Soicher uh, is a, a local artist who used to live in Montreal, now lives in Toronto. She abandoned us. Um, and she teamed <laughs> As many up, do. She teamed up with Joseph Glazer. Um, and actually, Michelle developed this show through the same mentorship program that I just completed at the Seagull. She was in the first year ever of their program. And now they were talking about it a bit yesterday at the presentation. They'd been working on it for five years. And this is kind of like the pilot version of where it's at right now. They did a version of it over Zoom, I think, in the pandemic. Um, and But it's not done. They're going to keep developing it and growing it. Um, but the, the show Games I Don't Want to Play is, an, from what I understand, it's kind of interactive. Um, there's four players that they say are put to the ultimate test, navigating their identities as contemporary Jews. The stakes are high. The rules change. They will balance their identity, uh, their identities like spinning plates and contort into whichever Jew is needed to survive. Expect laughs, excitement, and a bunch of anxiety. So on Wednesday, they have a special night, which Michelle was saying that they were inspired by blackout nights, which is when black artists will put on a show for only like the black community to be able to like experience it with people who kind of get it. So they're doing a night called Minion Night where they, so for Jews to go see the show all together. So I'm going to go to that. So you're going to the Jew out performance. Yeah, I'm going to the Jew out. Um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm really curious to see what it's, what it's all about. Um, it's at the Montreal Fringe Festival and it plays from June 12th to 18th. So be sure to check it out if you're in the area. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, David Sklar, and Ilana Zakon. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel-Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. If you like this episode, go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a lot. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.